So, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Well, today, um, <clears throat> my message is God's wise counsel. God's wise counsel. Now, our, our, problems is, our problem is not so much that we don't know what to do. We probably, at some point in time, runs through our mind what is the right path. But then we get it confused with other things that come in. And how do we discern what is God's wise counsel and what is our thoughts and uh, which one of these are we supposed to do? And I, I often suggest to individuals when they're trying to make decisions is that you put all the decisions on the table, put all your options on the table, and then you start weeding them out. You know, there are some that we can do and some that, you know, that we can't do, that circumstances, people, whatever, they have to be thrown aside. So there, uh, it ends up with just a few things on the table. And, and these, th these thoughts on the table can come from our own mind, it can come from our own thoughts, come from the scripture, come from other people, and we put it on the table. Well, once it's on the table then, we have to sort through this and we pray for wisdom. Uh, and uh, wisdom and wise are basically synonymous. They are the same, have the same meanings. And we pray for wisdom to be able to pick and choose. But what we at some point in time, we have to choose a direction. And we choose a direction, and, and that, uh, as we choose that direction, and it doesn't work out, doesn't mean it was a wrong choice. <laughs> You see, we don't know, uh, we, while well, we do know that we choose a direction and while we're on that path, we will know if we should continue or not. And so we pick a direction, we don't have a direction, but we pick one and we start going in that direction. Now, I often, I often say to individuals that whenever you reach the wall, you have to turn left or right. You can't walk through the wall. So when you reach the wall, then we know we've got to a point where we have to turn left or right. Well, I can't turn left or right where I'm sitting I have to get there first. <laughs> so going forward with our life is taking us to a certain point and, and where there is no further ability to go straight ahead, there is only left or right. And like the great prophet Yogi Berra, when you get to the fork in the road, take it. <laughs> Did you get that, Bob? When you get to the fork, okay, thank you, all right. So... <laughs> So wise is having or showing experienced knowledge and good judgment. Wise is having or showing experience, knowledge, and good judgment. So we're learning how to live our life. But, you know, in order to make good decisions, we need to have some fun fundamental problems, uh, fundamental principles, okay? Well, and of course, these are not all of the fundamental principles, but there are some, there are some things that I, I, I thought of and how that it's important to have these things in place in order to have wise counsel. Well, in Mark chapter 5, we have the story in which the synagogue ruler Jairus shows up to, to Jesus and his daughter is very ill. And he begs Jesus to come with him to his house and pray for his daughter. And so they start off, and while he's on the way, Jesus gets interrupted. <laughs> you know, do you ever wonder why God doesn't show up whenever, we pri whenever he's like he, got, he, he got interrupted? Well, who interrupted him is the woman who had the issue of blood, a bleeding problem, and she's the one who pushed through the crowd and touched Jesus, and Jesus says, who touched me? <laughs> and, um, 
Uh, I think we've written a number of songs on that. He touched me and, you know, how God touches us. But we, we look at this thing and Jesus stops and his disciples are saying, Jesus, everybody's touching you. He says, no, 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 no. Somebody with faith touched me. And she was healed. Now, it is her faith in this process. See, sometimes <clears throat> we, we look at things and say, well, I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough of that. You know, God only takes care. You know, if you have enough faith, you can move the hand of God and all that kind of stuff. And it's true if you have faith. You can, but what about it when you don't have faith? Can God still touch us? We'll find that out in a minute. So anyhow, this woman who has this bleeding problem touches Jesus. And Jesus said, who touched me? And one of the reasons that, that I think of that um, this miracle took place and was made public was so that the woman's faith and what has happened to her could be brought out to the entire community. People knew that she was ill. People knew that she was ostracized from the community. She had to live outside of town because she was unclean. So now she, is for, she has broken the law. She has put her life at risk to break through a crowd where she's not to be around people, and she touches him, the, him, the, the Jesus garment, and that she is healed. And so Jesus tells her her faith has healed her, and that the people around are knowing that she is healed, and she no longer has to be ostracized from the community. Well, while this is all happening, a servant arrives from Jairus' home and says, tells, don't bother the master, your daughter's dead. And we see here that uh, Jesus says to, to Jairus, pay them no mind, let's go on. Now, sometimes we need to pay no mind to the things that don't work. <laughs> the things that are considered out, dead, gone, that's, it's, it's all over, you know, it's never going to happen, this is the way it is, it's never going to be any different, and, you know, you can't, you can't raise the dead. But Jesus says, pay no mind. And he continued walking with Jairus to their home. And when he gets there, he, per he permitted no one to go into the room with him except Peter, James, and John, and the father. Well, I don't know if he's in there or not. But anyhow, he, I, I, I just thought of that as I'm sitting here. <laughs> Maybe the father is kept outside. But whatever happens, we have Jesus going in there, and um, we, we see how that he, 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 he says, why are all these busybody grief and gossip? Why, are all, why all this busybody grief and gossip? This child isn't dead. She's asleep. <laughs> it provoked to sarcasm they told him he didn't know what he was talking about. You ever been told that? You ever been told that, you know, especially like uh, people who are anti-God things, and they, they, those, those evangelical Christians, those Christians, don't they know what they're talking? They don't know what they're talking about. They can't believe this. They can't believe that. This isn't true. If they really were people of faith, they were really people of understanding, they certainly wouldn't do that. They don't know what they're talking about. Well, there are some that qualify for that, but not everybody and certainly not the large majority of them. So what happens here is they told Jesus he didn't know what he was talking about. When when Jesus speaks to our hearts, 
Okay? When Christ speaks to our hearts through his word, and we have this stirring on the inside, like this is the way it's going to be, and we hear the gossipers and the busybodies of our life telling us, you are going to be a fool this time. <laughs> you are not going to make it. You are, well, we have permission, okay? Verse 40. But when he had sent them all out, here he is, he took the child's father and mother along with his companions and entered the child's room. Peter, James, and John, and mom and dad went into the child's room. What did Jesus do here? He showed the sarcasm and the doubters the door. <laughs> he, t he, he, he threw them out. Now here is God who can do anything, anytime, anywhere. What does he do? He sends the people out of the room. Get out of the house. People who are intent on destroying our faith have no place in our hearts and in our, in our faith-making things, decisions. Because our faith-based things that are in our heart. Now, again, we're not, we're not talking about, you know, selling everything and moving to Romania. You know, we're not, we're not talking about, um, you know, I don't know, the crazy things. I think I'm going to go go get this or that and, you know, create, I'm going to go, whatever. You understand what I mean, huh? <laughs> you know, go get this cause or go, go, go to California and, and do this. And, you know, what we're talking about is, we talked about in Sunday school, hospitality. Learning, you know, being moved to help somebody. Being moved to take care of someone. Being moved to be that person of, compassion and people would come along and say what are you doing that for they deserve what they got they deserve no you see we find that when people are there and they are they are feeders of doubt <laughs> we need to we need to dismiss them just in our whether it's in our own mind or whether it's real people or persons or whatever we need to dismiss them we need to show them the door because jesus here is God himself, incarnate, shows people the door. He shows the doubters how to get out. <laughs> you see the door? Go through it. And he sent them out of the home. And along with his companions, he entered the child's room. He clasped the girl's hand and said, which means, little girl, get up. Hmm. The girl did not have any faith. She was gone. She had died. So here in this couple of verses, we have God responding to people of faith and we have God touching people who in themselves have no faith. Jairus' daughter. And Jairus and his mom, you know, Jairus and his wife, they are convinced and they know their daughter died. It's very obvious. And so they are left in this no man's land of we know that our, our, our child has died, but yet we have the giver of life. And you see, this is where we have to, we, where reality and faith meet. That we have a very real problem and we have a very real God. And I don't have to deny the problem for God to fix it. 
I recognize that God is involved in all things. He works all things together for good. God is going to work this out. So therefore, by faith, I continue to go down this path. So we have sent for the master. We have sent for Jesus. And he has come to be with us. And he wants us to be involved in that process of healing, restoring, delivering, making something happen. We are all involved in that process. So... Asleep, <laughs> you know, our problems, our difficulties, our dreams, let them get up. Little girl, get up. And she was up and walking around, and they, of course, were all beside themselves with joy. <laughs> now, all those mourners and, and uh, uh, sarcasms and all that stuff, that all went aside for a while because she's alive. Well... We don't know how he did it, but he, he brought her back. You know, let's say in our heart, it's by faith and by life. Hebrews chapter 10. God's wise counsel. Now here, uh, the writer is talking about every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same old sacrifice year in, year out, and never makes a dent in the sin problem. You see, Jesus is, and the writer of the Hebrews here, is telling them how futile the Old Testament system was. It was important enough for God to institute it, which is a covering, but not in a removal. The sacrifice of animals was a covering of, of individual sins, but the, the death and the blood of Jesus Christ is the complete cleansing from all sin. So um, we, we, are, we are looking at this and we say, so we don't, stand, we don't slam the door, <laughs> You know, you ever hear that problem? Don't slam that door. Told you a thousand times, don't slam the door. Well, the reason people slam the door isn't because it's a door there. It's because something back here happened. And whatever happened back here blew up and slammed the door as they went out the door. So the cure for slamming the door begins back here <laughs> where there's a problem. Well, we need to resolve what prompts our disbelief. You know, the devil uses this area back here to get us to slam the door. As in saying, well, you don't know what I did. You don't know my situation. So we try to put ourselves in a place where God can't reach us. <laughs> and God isn't doing that. But we still see the, the, the um, works of that fallen nature by slamming the doors, you know, our, our closing the door to God's future for us because you don't know my past. You see, whenever we bring up our past, it's because I think it's because we, we, we're, not, we're so uncomfortable with being blessed. We're so uncomfortable with recognizing that God has loved, he loved us and he has forgiven us. We're uncomfortable with that. So therefore, we bring up our past so that God, so we try to balance this out. Well, you know, he loves me, but, you know, he's forgotten my past, so I'll remind him of my past. So uh, we balance this out, and it's, there's no balance to it. Well, God's love for us is greater than our sin, and God's blessing upon our life is far out. <laughs> what God has blessed, no man can curse. You know, it's like Teflon. Nothing sticks. <laughs> the evil doesn't stick to the blessing of God. 
The evil doesn't stick to the, pl- to the purpose of God in our life. It gets, it gets thrown on it. <laughs> I, I, oh, I did it. I, there was this fly. Do you ever have these flies this time of year? They're buzzing and bouncing around off the walls. And uh, so there was this fly buzzing and bouncing off the walls, you know. And, and right above me, it stopped. I had a T-shirt in my hand. I came back and I hit that thing. And I didn't know where it went. And I looked on the wall. And there it was, stuck to the wall on its wings out like this. I was thinking of how fast that fly was when it hit the wall. <laughs> I mean, that, that fly had to hit a 150 miles an hour. I mean, it was driven into the wall and it was just flat, you know? Well, sometimes the devil's out buzzing around. <laughs> And he's, you know, bugging the heck out of us. And he's just bouncing off the wall and trying to get us to bounce off the wall. If that fly doesn't die, I'm going to kill it. I can't stand this buzzing off the wall. Well, we just take the word of God and take aim and drive that buzzer right into the wall, you know. Because the blessing of God is so great in our lives, no little bug is going to cause us to give it up. And the same thing in our life, no, no little problem, no problem is big enough to, to do this. And, and of course, people talk about the blessing of God, and the curse, and all that kind of stuff. Generational curse. Generational curse is that you, 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 you keep doing what your parents have already done, which destroyed them, and it's going to destroy you, and you're going to set it in motion so the next generation is destroyed. What we've done is we've halted the generational learning learned behavior we've stopped the devil's influence by allowing god into our life and his his purpose and his love and his grace and his mercy stop that effect cancels that and reinstates us as the child of god bringing a new ending to our life and the, a new revelation for our children so as a priest christ made a single sacrifice for sin and that was it That's it. There is no other sacrifice for sin. Well, what about my doing this and my doing that? It doesn't cancel your sin. You don't, we don't have the power to erase our sin. What if I do all this good stuff and, I, you know, and, I, and I'm not worthy? Okay. All the good stuff isn't going to cancel it. And not being worthy, has, that, that's noted from the very beginning. We're not worthy. We're not capable of, uh, of cleansing ourselves from sin. It is, the, it is the blood of Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross and his resurrection puts all that in place for us. So, then he sat down on the right hand of the side of God. is seated. He is a seated high priest. Okay? Remember, a high priest in the Old Testament is never seated because their work is never done. Jesus is a seated high priest. His work is accomplished. So, he sat down beside the right hand of God and waited for his enemies to cave in. I like that. <laughs> How many times have we thought, you know, you don't want to cave in to that temptation? Well, your, your, your faith is not going to cave in. The evil is going to cave in. Evil is like the wise... No, the evil is like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Evil is built upon that which cannot stand. So evil is going to cave in. God is saying that he is a seated high priest and he's waiting for his enemies to cave in. 
Evil is going to be crushed. Evil is going to fall in on itself. Not us. Not you. You are not set in place to cave in. You are in place to build. Because the foundation cannot be shaken. <laughs> you know, in Dubai, is it Dubai where they build one of the, the world's tallest building? It's built in a desert on sand. But what they did is they went down hundreds of feet to establish a foundation for the building above. Jesus Christ is a solid rock upon whom we build, whom we stand. So our life is not about caving in. Our life is about building and growing and loving and forgiving. You see, uh, we find that a perfect, here we go on, it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to, perf to perfect some very imperfect people. Do you get all that? I can't even read it. Yeah. Jesus, his was the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect person. And he was in place to perfect us who are very imperfect. You see, we're not looking at perfect people here. When you look in the mirror, that's not a perfect person. Jesus makes us perfect. You think you can make yourself perfect? It's not going to happen. By that single offering, he did everything that, that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. We take part by confessing our sin. The Holy Spirit confirms. Ready? This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper. It's going to be chiseled. Oh, excuse me. Isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it on the lining of their hearts. You see, our nature is changed. Our nature is changed, and what we think, say, and do is, is coming from deep within us. <clears throat> I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sin. Every time we remember our sin and try to use it against us, and against ourselves, we are directly disobeying God. See, he writes this so that we wouldn't be tempted by the, by the devil. The devil tries to get us to remember our past. God is saying, I'm not concerned about your past. I'm concerned about your future. And whenever we use our failures as a way of sabotaging our future, God is saying to us, you're not paying attention. You're not being very wise here. And what is wise? Having or showing experience, knowledge, and good judgment. You're not very wise whenever we take what is gone and forgiven and never to be remembered against us again and to bring it back up. That is plain old foolishness. Amen. Okay, so we'll go on. God's wise counsel is that sins are gone, sins are forgiven, yesterday is over, our future's in front of us. What did you learn from yesterday? But you take the experience of forgiveness and the experience of love and forgiveness to those things that you who are unlovable, you who are imperfect, we who are undone, 
God takes us and completes us. It's not like the, the marriage ceremony where this husband was you know, going out and searching for a wife and he found his wife and they got married and now he's finished. That's a joke. <laughs> I'm glad some of you got it. And you can do reverse it to ladies. You know, when a lady was out searching for her husband and now she has found the right man and they got married and she is finished. Okay, now I've insulted both sides. Okay, now we can go on. So, so I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Once sins are taken care of for good, there's no longer any need to offer sacrifices for them. You can't, we cannot offer another sacrifice to take away sin. Can't do it. 1 John 4. My beloved friends, friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Wise counsel is that we allow God to love us and then we allow ourselves to love others. Hospitality. <laughs> Move on down, I think it's verse 8 or 9. This is, this is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time love God. You see, God doesn't love you or me because something in our, us made, you know, loved God. The, the principle is, but that he loved us. See, that's why we say there's nothing we can do to make God love us more than what he does. You can't change it. You can't change how much God loves you because that's who he is. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And here, for John, he says, And sent his Son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damages they've done to our relationship with God. Well, you don't know how much hurt I have caused the heart. It doesn't matter. Turn your, we turn our life around by giving God our sins and our, our lives and asking him to give us direction. That's the wise counsel of God. That he loves us. Not that we love him. But he loves us. My dear, dear friends, verse 11. If God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. <laughs> you want to know how much we love God? <laughs> how much do we care for other people? Hospitality. You know? That's part A from Sunday school. <laughs> okay. Now we go on. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God dwells, dwells, dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love. Did you know when there's a transplant, yeah, uh, the person who is offering the organs has generally died. We are thankful for the ability to transplant Hearts and lungs, and even now, recently, uh, a, a soldier had his, his all of his limbs blown off, and they transplanted two arms. And he's trying to bring them back and make them his own. But in order for there to be these transplants, there must be a sacrifice. Well, verse 13 says, This is how we know that we're living steadily and deeply in him, and he in us. He's given us life from his life. 
God has transplanted his life into us. God has transplanted his life into us. Well, he had to die, yes, <laughs> for that to happen. Yes. He died that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly. We don't have to, he didn't die for us just to get by. He died for us to live for him and he and us and that we'd have an impact on our world by the things we do and say because we are loved by God and from that place of love, we are not frightened. <laughs> We're not frightened of life because we receive, he has given us life from his life, from his very own spirit. You know, we think of, you know, Christmas time, how that Mary was, con you know, the, the, the virgin birth and Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary. And, well, it is a work of the Spirit. Well, in our lives, it's, it's kind of the same thing. It is the work of the Spirit in us. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to birth in us the life of God. It is a div of divine origin what's inside of you. It is of a divine origin and a divine purpose. He loves us. Verse 17, God is love, and we take up permanent residence in a life of love. We live in God, and God lives in us, and we find that living and loving is more, is more better. <laughs> I can take that home with you. The preacher said more better. It's a good word. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, fingernails on the chalkboard, more better. So, there is no room, there is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. God's wise counsel. Fear has no place in our life. End of story. Fear has no place in our life because love gives us a place of security to operate from. Love gives us a place where our life now is free to make choices and how that God presents before us his wise counsel so that we can determine which way, we're going to grow, which way we're going to go, which way we're going to grow. And again, I come back to Jeremiah 29, 11, and he says, I'll show up and take care of you as I promised and bring you back home, meaning for Israel to come back to to. to the, the, the Jewish people who were in exile in Babylon to come back to Israel, to their homeland. But this, God is going to show up and he's going to take care of you. Our fears challenge how much God is going to care for us. When I am afraid, I am thinking that God has lost control. Fear is false evidence appearing real. We are more concerned with something that we have dreamed up than with Someone who has loved us, who loves us, and has plans for our future. Fear is using the past to sabotage the present so we can't even see the future. But love has given us the ability to forgive the hurt and the pain of the past, to live in a right relationship with God in the present, knowing that our future is in God's hands. He'll take care of us. Wise counsel. I'll show up and take care of you as I promised. You see, this is a promise of God that he has promised to take care of us. We go back a few verses and what, what and we were talking about is that God 
has washed away our sin. He has cleaned the slate and there is nothing on the slate. In God's presence, in God's eyes, in God's consciousness, your slate, my slate is totally clean. Fear tells us to put some stuff on the slate. (laughs) Fear tells us that we're not quite good enough. And God is saying, in me, you are complete. All power in heaven and earth is given to me, and God gives it to us. I know what I am doing. This is God saying this. (laughs) So I'm trusting that he knows what he's doing. I have it all planned out, plans to take care of you and not abandon you, plans to give you a future you hope for. (laughs) God has a plan. God has a plan. Do you know, and I'll close with this, do you know when David faced Goliath, I often thought, I often thought that, uh, well, you know, he went down there and had the sling, threw it up there, and God directed uh, the stone and, and, you know, speeded up the propelling of the stone and popped old Goliath right between the eyes. But David, in one sense, he was the only person in Israel that could take Goliath down. Because when David was out watching the sheep... <laughs> You don't know how boring it is (laughs) to watch sheep. It's almost almost as exciting as watching the grass grow. And so what do you do with your time while you're watching the sheep? You got a slingshot, not the ones you pull back and swing, you know, rubber. You've got one, a sling, and you're slinging. I can imagine David was just out there knocking stones off at 100 yards, you know, there are 20 yards, there's a stone, put a stone up and doing target practice and going after it day after day after day after day. And you know what? He was pretty successful at that. And even on some of those channels, they, they you know, one of, I don't know what one it was, but they had a guy with modern day sling, you know, using one of those and using the impact of what it is. It has the force almost of a, of, of a rifle. <laughs> that it, when the, the impact of that is almost like the force of a hammer just boom, hitting some right between the eyes. And Goliath was so skilled in warfare, no one in Israel's army could take him down. Well, what about archers? He had a shield that was somebody's, his shield bearer had to carry. They couldn't get near him. But his defenses were left down. Evil caved in. When the person of God showed up, with a very skill that he learned watching sheep. You see, evil will cave in with the very skill that you have learned living everyday life. You have the ability to take down the giants in your life by the very skills that God has put in your heart and in your mind. Evil will cave in to good because it can't stand the pressure. And when we have faith in God, we don't have pressure. God is leading us day by day. And he, and he tells us all the time, as your day is, so shall your strength be. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth, and I give it to you. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
We see the power that is in what we have learned and the power of a sling and a stone to cave in the forehead of a giant. And evil is about to cave in because of the greatness of our faith. And you say, well, remember the woman with the issue of blood? She pressed through the crowd. Remember Jairus' daughter? She had no faith at all. She's dead. But God intercedes on both, on both people. He, he, he prevails in both people's lives. <laughs> so here we are. We can't put ourselves out. We don't have enough faith. I have too much faith. You know, no. Just take the skills that we have, things that we've learned, allow God to use us. Shall we stand? God's wise counsel. (laughs) You can turn to Proverbs 19 when you get home and read it. (laughs) Proverbs 19 Better to be poor than on, better to be poor at and honest than to be rich person and no one can trust. <laughs> there was another one here. When you're down on your luck, your family and friends will avoid you. Huh. They'll see you coming and they'll walk away. <laughs> but you see, we're not down on our luck because we don't have luck. God is with us. We have a person. His per- this person loves us, died for us. And the slate is clean every day. Jesus, thank you for forgiving us, living in our hearts and our lives, giving us the strength for this day. God, your spirit, your word come to life in us by our opening our hearts and minds to you. We ask your blessing, your guidance, your divine favor to be upon us. And Lord, we will be servants. We will be hospitable to your spirit, to your love, and to those around us. Amen. God bless you.